Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Mail Church. How are you feeling today? It is a joy to be here with you. It truly is. If this is your very, very first time here at the Greenwood campus or at the Garfield Park campus, the Banta campus, Franklin campus, or at our Seymour campus or our online campus, and this is your very first time, we want to give you a special welcome. Can we give it up for all of our first time guests? Come on, nice and loud, guys. We're excited that you have decided to join us and accept someone's invitation. If you're not brand new, welcome back. It's so good to see you. We're going to jump right into our content today. We're in the middle of a series called Not a Fan. And the big idea in this series, we've been talking about each week in your notes, I put it on the screen right here for you, is that many people think they are followers of Jesus when they are just, say it with me, Fans. This big idea came from a book called Not a Fan, where we got the title of our series a couple of weeks back, uh, months back. A couple of pastor friends of mine, Pastor Mike Wigan from City Life Church, Pastor Matt Giebler from Greenwood Christian Church, got together. We we meet regularly, and we said, "Man, wouldn't it be awesome if we kind of got everybody on the same page and started 2022 with the same content?" We had all read this book, and it had impacted us. The, the book sold over a million copies, and uh, so we came up with this idea to start 20. 22 synced up together, and so far, they were texting me this morning, they would say, man, I'm praying for you, it's so cool to be on the same page, and so that's where this uh, series came from. Eidelman puts his finger on this tension. Many people of faith, many spiritual people, or people who call themselves, themselves Christians, think they're actually following Jesus, but they're just fans. What's the difference between a follower and a fan? Well, think about sports. Fans are in the crowd, and the players are on the field, right? Fans are all dressed up in jerseys, but they're not playing where? In the game, right? Fans are in the stands, but they're not playing the guitar at the concert, right? They, they want to be. They feel like they are. Fans know a lot about their favorite guitarist or singer or team or actor or musician, but they don't actually know their favorite star actor, musician, right? There's, there's a big difference between being a fan and a follower. And oftentimes we, we confuse our spiritual life or we, we do our spiritual life in the same way we do our fandom, right? We think that we're following Jesus, but we're actually in the stands. We got the, the Jesus fish on the back of the car. You know, we've got the t-shirt. We've got the cross around our neck. Might even have a cross tattoo <laughs> if we really, you know, want to be a serious fan. But we may not be followers. This is a big deal. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Jesus made it clear that it's possible for you to be a fan and not actually a follower. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everyone who says I'm on the team is on the team. Does that make sense? 
He says, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Which, then he goes on to say, but in Judgment Day, some of you are going to say, but didn't we cast out demons, and didn't we perform miracles, and didn't we prophesy in your name? And in verse 23, Jesus says, this is going to be my reply. I never, and if you were here last week, you know what this word means, I never gnoscoed you. I don't know you through personal experience. In other words, it's possible to know a lot about God, but not to know God. Why does God, why does Jesus have so many fans? We get confused about what it really means to believe in him. We think there's no cost at all to faith. That was week number one. And then last week we talked about how we confuse knowledge about God with intimacy with him. And that was last week. Today I want to talk to you about another reason why Jesus has so many fans. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Our focus is on the outside instead of the inside. Human beings do this naturally. It's our tendency. We really care about how we look because we really care what other people think. Have you noticed this? There's 168 million American women in this country. American women. There's 186 million women in America. That's the right way to say it, I guess. Did you know that 80% of that 168 million, that's about 120, 128 million or so, use makeup? Did you know that? Yeah, they use makeup. Cosmetics, eyeliner, lipstick, base, you know. I don't know what all this stuff is called, but I just know there's a lot of makeup out there. And this isn't a bash on women. I mean, I have, I'm married to a woman. She, she uses makeup. I have a daughter. She uses makeup. I'm not bashing women. It's just, it's just a, you know, it's just we care about our face. We, you ladies, do we care about our face? We care about our face. It turns out to be about $250 a month. Fellas, did you know that? <laughs> it's going to be a conversation tonight about how much we're spending on makeup. It turns out to be $3,000 a year. That's a lot of money on the face, on the face. So $3,000 a year times 128 million women, how much money do you think that is? That's in the billions. In fact, globally, globally, there are $382 billion a year spent on lipstick and eyeliner and base and shadow and <laughs> That's a big number! On the face, do you agree? Do you agree? We care. We care about what people see. We care about how we look. And, 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 and I'm, again, I'm not, ladies, I'm not bashing you. Like, dudes do the same thing. Like, we care how we look. I mean, think about when our hair starts falling out, all the things we do, right? We start getting hair plugs and, you know, start, you know, buying stuff. Some of us wear toupees. Like, we care. We care how we look, right? We care. We, 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 we want to look good. We go to the gym. We got to maybe get a tattoo. And you know, then when, we, when our hair does fall out and we get fat, we buy a motorcycle, right? Like we care. We, <laughs> we want to look cool. <laughs> so I'm not bashing the ladies. It's just a human thing. Like we want, we care how people, we care about the outward appearance. There's a great story in the Bible about a guy named uh, uh, Samuel. Samuel is a prophet of God, and, and, and God decides to take King Saul out of the equation, the first king of Israel, because he wasn't obeying, and he says, I'm going to replace him with another guy, so he taps Samuel on the shoulder and says, go to a man named Jesse's house. He's got a bunch of sons. You're going to find the next king of Israel among his sons. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and the first son that comes out is a tall, strapping, six-foot-five, muscle-bound, black, wavy hair, tan, handsome face. And as soon as Samuel sees Eliab, that's his name, he's like, that's the Lord's anointed. That guy looks like a king. 
But look what God says to Samuel. Don't judge by his appearance or his height or the size of his biceps <laughs> because I have rejected him. I know he looks like a king on the outside, but he's not a king on the inside. See, the Lord doesn't see the way you see. God sees differently. than You and I focus on the outward appearance. Watch this. Watch this. People judge by the outward appearance. We make our conclusions about people by what we see. But the Lord looks at the what? The heart. All of our campuses, the heart. God sees the inside. We look at the outside. We're the only country in the world, perhaps, or maybe that's not true. The leading country in the world where you can become a millionaire with no skills at all. Just a pretty face, like Kim Kardashian, right? <laughs> I mean, can you think of a place where you have no skill whatsoever? You can't do anything, but you have a pretty face, and so you become famous. It's bonkers. We value the outward appearance, and God says, no, I don't care about any of that. What I care about is the what? The, the heart. And when it comes to the spiritual life, fans focus on the outward appearance. Followers focus on the hurt. You say, well, how do fans focus on the outward appearance? Well, here's how spiritual people focus on the outward appearance, on how we look towards others. We focus on keeping the rules. What are the rules? What does the book say? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't do this, don't do that, don't, have, don't commit adultery, don't go here, don't use foul language. You know. There's a bunch of Ten Commandments, and don't lie, don't cheat, and, and they're all good stuff. But what fans do is we, we, we pick up the Bible and we look at it and we look at the rules and say, I'm going to keep these rules so that I will look good to the other people and they will think that I am spiritual. And on top of the written rules, there's also the man-made rules, which thankfully at this church we have reduced those to the bare minimum. <laughs> but years ago at this church, ladies, remember this, those of you who are here years and years and years ago, ladies were not allowed to wear pants to church. That was one of the rules. Like, dudes couldn't have long hair. Like, when I was at Liberty University, we had a long list of rules, many of which are now gone. But one of those rules was you, you couldn't have facial hair. It's like, ah, I just want to grow a beard. I'm 19. Come on. It's not even there, really. Let me try. <laughs> no, I had to shave every day, whatever was there. Rules, 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 rules. And then we equate that to Christianity. And then we keep all those rules, and then we look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's a different Story. You know, there's a group of people in the Bible that did this. We've been talking about them through this series, and Eidelman talks about them in the book, the, the Sanhedrin. Two, two, two groups of people in the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 72 men. They were the official rule keepers. They sat in the seat of Moses. They interpreted the law. Listen to what Jesus said about these guys in Matthew 23, verse 5. Everything they do is for, say it with me, show. They were the experts in keeping the law, and everything they did was for the eyes of someone else. Why? Because they cared what other people thought. So they literally took the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments plus the other 600 laws, and they kept them to a T so that they could look spiritual and godly and holy to everybody in the community. Why? So that they could be respected and honored. Listen to what Jesus has to say about them in verse 13. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees. And then he calls them this word. You've heard this word before. A lot of people of faith today are accused of being this word. Hypocrites. Now back in the, 
even before Jesus' time, this, the root of this word, it really wasn't negative. It just was a word that came from the idea uh, of, of someone being on stage in a play, acting out different roles. And they would, the, the same person would play a different role, and so they would change, they would put a mask on, and then when they would switch roles, they'd put a different mask on, and they would pretend to be someone that they weren't. That's what the word hypocrite really means. Now, Jesus obviously uses it in a negative sense. You guys are taking the law of Moses and all the rule following, and you're you're putting out this outward appearance, this display, this charade, this mask, to to show people that you, or to try to show people that you are really spiritual and godly on the inside. But you are nothing but a hypocrite. But he doesn't stop there. That was tough language back then. He was directly insulting them. But he doesn't stop. Listen to what he says. He says, for all of you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. What in the world is he talking about? Whitewashed tombs? Well, back in Jesus' day, there would be these tombs that when, you, when your family member died, if, if the person was somewhat special, you'd put them in a tomb. And the law said that if you touch one of these tombs with a dead person's body inside of it, you would become defiled just by touching it or rubbing up against it. So what they would do is they would paint them white so that everybody could see where they are so they could move away and not accidentally touch one of these tombs and be defiled. Even today in Jerusalem, in the Middle East, there's still whitewashed tombs. These were not the ones back in Jesus' day, but they still do this practice today. They paint them white so that you don't touch the tomb. Jesus says, you like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you're filled with decay and death and impurity. Here's what Jesus meant. See, back in those days, you wanted to touch a Pharisee. You wanted to be around a Sadducee. You wanted to physically rub shoulders with them or grab hold of their their robes because the idea was some of their righteousness, some of their godliness would get on you if you touched them. Jesus says, oh, it's quite the opposite. When people touch you, they enter into a defiling experience because inside of you is not life. There's not joy. There's not godliness. Inside of you, even though you look great on the outside, inside of you there's nothing but death, decay, disease, and impurity. Wow. I mean, he just brings the hammer down on these guys. What is he saying? He's really saying the problem with you guys is you're not letting me deal with the heart And that's what I came to fix. That's what I came to heal. See, in your notes, I wrote it like this. Your real problem and my real problem is what's on the inside, not the outside. Rules, keeping the rules, keeping the law can never change or affect our hearts. And that's where the real problem lies. In Mark chapter 7, uh, the, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're just, they're upset because he, they're watching Jesus' disciples have a meal and, and they're eating, but they haven't washed their hands. And part of the law said, the traditions that they had made said, you know, a lot like moms today, <laughs> yeah, wash your hands, honey. <laughs> that was the rules of the house. And they, they didn't wash their hands. So they come to Jesus and, and they're like, what's wrong with your disciples? They're not keeping the law. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys missed it. See, it's not what touches our body that defiles us. It's not germs. It's not eating with unwashed hands. It's not the food that you eat that makes you a bad person. It's your heart that makes you a bad person. Listen to what he says, Mark chapter 7, verse 15. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. 
Come on. That's an outside-in approach. You're defiled by what comes from your, say it with me, your heart. See, the issue with you and the issue with me is we, we, have, a, we have a bad heart. Something has gone wrong on the inside. Oh, he doesn't stop here in verse 15. Listen to what he says in verse 20. He pushes down to give them absolute clarity on what he means. It's what comes from the inside that defiles you from within. Out of a person's heart come what? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed. He continues wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but that's quite a few things. You want to know what the problem with humanity is when you turn the news on? <laughs> it's their hearts. All these vile things come from where? Say it with me. Within a person. That's where the problem lies. And they are what defile you. See, today we live in a society where you turn the news on and you, 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 know, you hear about somebody who murdered someone or raped someone or did some terrible thing. And, and then you hear the, the talking heads talk about, well, you know, they grew up in a bad home and, you know, their situation, their circumstances. And, and that, you know, given, given the environment, what do you expect him to do? Well, I expect him not to kill somebody. I expect him not to rape somebody. See, our society believes today that human beings do what they do because of their environments. Don't be fooled. Now, I'm gonna, I'm not, I am going to admit that environment matters. And the house you grow up in matters. And your friends matter. And they do influence you. But at the root issue, what we do comes from where? Comes from within. That's where sexual immorality comes from. That's where lying comes from. That's where murder comes from. That's where theft comes from. That's where greed comes from, envy. It all comes from your heart, and that's why Jesus came. And see, followers understand this. Fans are focused on the outside. They don't care about their heart. They just want to look good. They want to appear to be something that they're not. They're hypocrites. But followers are like, nah, man, the issue's in here. You ever hear about this thing called heart rot? I didn't, even though I worked at a tree nursery when I was in high school, I didn't hear about it. But this week I was doing some studying and somebody brought it up, you know, hey, have you ever heard of heart rot? It's like, what's heart rot? Well, apparently trees get this thing called heart rot, which I think is an incredible phrase. They get infected somehow through the bark and the tree, even though it looks great on the outside, on the inside it's rotting away. Let me show you a picture. This is, a, this is a picture of what tree rot looks like. It looks great on the outside. Healthy wood right here. But look at this. This is all disease. But you don't even know it's happening because everything on the outside looks great. You know, this is our problem as human beings. We can dress it up on the outside, and I can dress up to look good on the outside. But on the inside, I can be filled with dead people's bones and all kinds of impurity. This is the problem that Jesus came to solve God's not looking at the physical outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. You know, I don't know many people who are joyful and happy and excited about their walk with Christ who are focused on the outside. I just don't. When I meet a Christian who's, who's focused on appearance and keeping the rules and, and concerned about what other people think, I usually meet someone who's frustrated, angry, disappointed. Their faith is not producing joy in them. In fact, the dominant feeling tones in their relationship with God is guilt and shame. Church and God is not bringing life to them. It's a heavy burden. It's a, I can never do good enough. I can never be good enough. Guilt and shame. 
That's what happens when you focus on the outside instead of the inside. Jesus didn't come to dress you up so you can look good on the outside. He came to change the brokenness in your heart. Is this making sense? And followers understand that. So what do we do? How do we move from being a fan to a follower in this situation? Well, the answer is simple, but again, like I said last week, it's not, it's not easy to apply. Let me share it with you. We move from being a fan to a follower by switching your focus from the outside to the inside. That's all we got to do. It's simple, but it's really difficult. We have to stop being concerned about how we look on the outside and, and make our number one concern, our primary concern, what is going on inside of my heart. That's the source of evil thoughts and murder and theft and sexual immorality and all the issues that I have. It's not his fault, her fault, the government's fault, the president's fault, the, the Democrats' fault, the Republicans' fault. It's not, it's not, no, no, no. The issue's right in here. That's where I got problems. And followers understand that. And I'm not talking about perfection or getting everything right or, no, everybody's, you know, you, it's totally possible to be a, uh, a follower of Jesus and, you know, be stumbling your way through. That's what grace is all about. But the posture of their heart, the posture of their life is, God, change me from the inside out, not the outside in. I love what David wrote in Psalm 139. Some of you are familiar with that psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. And it begins with God, you know, David saying, God, there's nowhere that I can go without your presence. You know, you know before I speak a word, you know what I'm going to say. Before I take a step, you know, you know you're behind me. You're, it's beautiful. I think the way it ends is even more beautiful and more powerful because it's the prayer of a follower of Jesus. Listen to these powerful words. David says, search me, oh God, and know my, say it with me, my heart. That's where the problems lie. So take your searchlight, I'm going to open up my soul to you, and search it out. Look under every, turn over every rock, look in every crevice, look in every corner. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, I'm going to open up my life to you. I'm not going to hide, I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to wear a mask in front of you or other people. My inside is where the problem is, so search it out. But don't stop there. Don't just search me out. Don't just take your magnifying glass and look inside me. Take the next step and do this. Point out anything in me that offends you. If you can understand this, it'll change your life forever. You will move from being a fan to a follower. God, put your finger on anything inside of me, be it lust or pride or selfishness or greed or envy or jealousy. Put your finger on anything that you say, hey, that's not my will. That's not the way I created you. And I want you to get it out of me and point me in the way or lead me in the path of everlasting life. This is how a person changes right here. They open up their soul and they ask God to take a scalpel like a master surgeon and cut out anything that offends God. The prayer of the follower of Jesus is, God, would you, would you replace lust with purity? God, would you replace my insecurities with, with security? Would you replace my doubts with fear? God, would you cut out the, the lying and deception, replace it with a heart that wants to be honest and tell the truth? God, would you cut out anything that offends you and replace it with the character of your son? And this is how we change. Not by following the rules, but by asking God to do heart surgery on us. Is this making sense? Yes or no? That's the prayer of the follower of Jesus. Search me, O oh God, know my heart.
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Put your finger, point out anything that offends you and lead me in the way of everlasting life. This is what we pray first thing in the morning. This is first thing in the morning stuff. You wake up this way. God, change my heart from the inside out. Now, if we don't make this switch and you stay stuck, hung up on the outside, looking good, appearances, you know, the charade, the mask, hypocrisy, you may be gambling with your soul. And I didn't say it. I'm not the one. Jesus said it. You say, what are you talking about? Well, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 5 that's not often quoted because it's hard to understand It's complicated, but based on everything I've said in the last 20 minutes or so, I think you'll understand it. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. But I warn you, I warn you. Now, when that phrase comes up, we need to go on our toes. What? It's a warning here for me, for you, for us. Unless your righteousness, unless your, your religion, your faith your way of approaching God is better than the righteousness of the, t- uh, of the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees. Let me pause here for a second. Whoa, this is tough stuff. Because the righteousness of the teachers of the re- religious law and the Pharisees, they were perfect. Ten commandments, got them. They obeyed the laws. And now Jesus is saying, I got to be better than them. My faith has got to be, has got to exceed the faith of the, whoa, I don't know if that's possible. It is. Here's Why? Even though they obeyed all the rules, they did it for all the wrong reasons. And God's looking for the motive, not the obedience. Why are you obeying? See, they did it for the show. They used the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments to to put on a charade and a show to to show that they were godly and holy to gain respect and honor and to be elevated in the community. Why would you do it? You do it for a total, totally different reason. And Jesus says, we'll get to that in a second. Jesus says, unless that happens, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I didn't say it. He said it. You may not Come and live with me in the kingdom if you take the outside-in approach. You must take the inside-out approach. You must ask me to come into your heart and take a scalpel as a master surgeon would and do heart surgery on you. Search me, O God, and know me. Test my anxious thoughts. Point out anything inside of me that offends you and lead me on the path of everlasting life. Anything other than that is fandom. And you just might be deceiving yourself into thinking that you're a follower. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's impurity and godlessness, lawlessness, deceit, foolishness, lust, and on and on and on. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys are whitewashed tombs. Now, some of you are hearing this, and you've been in church for a long time, and so you're like, okay, Pastor Denny, I get it, that's fine, but what about the rules, buddy? <laughs> Come on, what about the rules? Like, there are rules in the Bible. Don't cheat, don't steal, don't lust, don't, don't commit adultery. Like, are we just you know, supposed to forget about the rules? Like, is that what kind of church this is? Come on. Think with me for a second. Jackie and I have been married for 22 years. 
we've got an awesome marriage. It's not perfect because women change and you gotta kind of keep figuring them out, right? So, <laughs> I'm just kidding, sorry. She's laughing right now. <sighs> but we got a really good marriage. Inside of our marriage, there are, there are rules. There are rules. A lot of them are unwritten, you know, but there are rules. I'll give, give you a few examples. You know, like don't go, mad, don't go to bed mad at each other. Uh, don't raise your voice at each other. Um, nobody looking at pornography. Nobody committing adultery. Um, no, no derogatory name calling. It's just a rule. Not allowed to do that. Now, soft, gentle, romantic names, that's fine. <laughs> which I will not share any of those with you today. Um... There's just rule. We just have these rules. No secrecy. You know, there's no, hey, that's my phone. That's my code. What are you, you, you can't see my, no, no, here it is. No, there's no secrecy in our, it's just a rule. We just, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. You know, there's no your money, my money, it's our money. Like, we just have rules. But here's the thing about our marriage. We don't focus on the rules. When I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what's the rules to be a good husband? <clears throat> Gosh, I got to make sure I obey those. I need to do that so that everybody else thinks that I'm a good husband in the community. Come on. Jackie and I have been working on our love relationship for 22 years. I feel like it's stronger now than it ever has been. And, and, and the reason why we follow the rules without focusing on the rules is because we've become the type of people who wouldn't break the rules. Did you hear what I just said? Over 22 years, we've changed. So we've become the type of people that don't yell at each other. It's not that the rule is keeping us from doing it. We just don't do it. We become the type of people that don't slam doors because that's not beneficial. We become the type of people who naturally don't step out on one another and commit adultery. So I don't have to think about, oh gosh, don't commit adultery. The rule is not holding me back. It's the transformation that took place that is allowing us to fulfill the rules. See, here's how it works with you and Jesus or how it's supposed to work. You are supposed to be inviting him into your heart every day to take a scalpel and do the surgery such that he's cutting out the things that offend him over time and replacing them with Christ-like character such that you become the type of person who naturally obeys the rules. We don't throw the rules out. There are rules in the Bible. We just change and become the type of people that wouldn't break the rules. Making sense? This is some good preaching right here. Not because that's me, but because it is strong truth. God wants to change your heart. Followers understand this. Fans don't. Fans want to fake it. Followers are like, God, the problem is here. Change me. Do heart surgery on me so that I become the type of person who would naturally obey the rules. Tough question today. Are you more focused on the outside or the inside? I could have just wrote up here, are you a fan or a follower? You know, in the Bible, <clears throat> there's this ritual called communion. And, and today's message is the perfect, perfect message to partake in communion. And here's why, here's why. Hang with me, hang with me. Because Jesus gave us communion as an opportunity to look into our hearts. See, what happens to you and I over time as followers of Jesus, those of you who are, we, we tend to forget, we tend to, you know, devalue, we, can, we tend to get caught up in life, and we forget what Jesus did for us, we forget his sacrifice, his spilled blood, his broken body, we forget its meaning, we get busy, and so he gives us this, this ritual where we drink some juice and eat some bread to remember, he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
But Paul, when he was writing about this in 1 Corinthians, he actually said, before you partake in communion, I want you to take a moment and look into your hearts. Let me read it to you, verse 28. Listen to what he says. Everyone ought to, watch this, examine themselves. Take your heart and put it under a microscope before you eat the bread and drink the juice. Why? Because it's possible, because we're human beings, to do this and partake today for all the wrong reasons. I remember when I was a little kid, my mom would take us to church, and I had two older brothers, and, and sometimes they would do communion, and I remember that my brother would grab it, and he would take it, and you know what, as a little brother, you know what I would do? I'd be like, I want to take it, and my mom would be like, no, you're not allowed. I'm like, that would make me so mad, because here, Jason and Jimmy, they're going to take communion, and I can't, and I wanted to take communion for all the wrong reasons. To be part of the group or to impress somebody. So even today, some of you maybe have grabbed one of these or if you don't have one, there's ushers coming around right now that can give you one. And you might know in your heart, gosh, as I examine my heart, like I think I'm about to take communion for all the wrong reasons because my girlfriend's here today, my boyfriend's, my, 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 my mom invited me, whatever. I don't want to look like I'm not a follower, so let me take it. I would encourage you, don't take it. Don't take, sit this one out. Because the reason that Paul says this is because if you partake in communion for the wrong reasons, you could bring judgment upon yourself. Why? Because God is looking at your heart. He's looking at your motive. He wants to know if your heart is in the right place. And so as we get ready to partake in communion, and I'm going to lead you through a few verses here in 1 Corinthians 11. If you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to sit this part out. This is for believers. This is for followers. And, and if you're having a moment of honesty with yourself and, you, and you're a fan and you know that your intent is not to be a follower, sit this one out. Have a moment, moment of authenticity with yourself and God. But if you are ready, I want to encourage you to grab the bread. I'm going to read a short passage from 1 Corinthians 11. This is what Paul said. As I read this, when I'm, when I'm done reading it, we can, we can reflect and and examine our hearts and, and partake. This is what Paul said. He said, For I pass unto you what I received from the Lord Jesus himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces. And this is what he said. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus grabbed a cup of wine. And this is what he said. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask you to examine our hearts. You see it anyway. Nothing goes hidden from you. God, help us to become the type of people who forget about the outside for the most part, but have as our primary concern the condition of our soul.
the person that we are. God, may we become the type of people who pray, search me, know my heart, point out anything in me that offends you. May we pray the prayer of followers. May our top concern be what's going on inside of us. May our hope and desire and our prayer be that you would change us from the inside out. God, I know if we do that, we will change over time and become the types of people who naturally keep the law. As we enter into these next few moments of worship, God, we acknowledge you as the miracle worker. We acknowledge you as the one who makes a way for us. God, there's nothing that is impossible for you. And so, Lord, as we worship from our hearts, as we remember your sacrifice on the cross, may, may this next few moments bring a smile to your face as we declare how much we love you and how much we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for worshiping with us, and thank you for taking the time through communion to remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for all of us on the cross. And real quick, before we end our time together, don't tune out. I want to say something real quick. I want to jump back to where Pastor Danny started this message today. And let's go back to Matthew 7, 21, where Jesus said this. You remember what he said? Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want to take just a moment to focus in on the next verse, okay? And that's verse 22. And Jesus says this, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We performed a bunch of miracles for you. But look, here's a translation of that. Didn't we just do a bunch of things for you? Didn't we keep all of the rules? Why can't we enter heaven? But notice what Jesus says in verse 23. Depart, I never knew you. So let me ask you a question that I actually want you to answer. This isn't a rhetorical question. Sitting at home or at work, I want you to answer this question. Maybe grab a journal and write this out. But here's the, here's the question. At the end of time, when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you in to heaven? What would your answer be to that question? I'm gonna be silent for just a couple seconds as I want you to think about that answer. Jesus is asking you, why should I let you in to heaven? Would you say, well, I kept all the rules or I was a really, really good person. I didn't lie, I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I even gave money to the church. Be honest, would your answer be a bunch of things you've done and the rules you've kept? You need to hear me. The only correct answer to the question of why should Jesus let you into heaven is this. It's because you put your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. There's no other way. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is found throughout the Bible. But probably the easiest verse to understand the gospel is actually in John 3:16. You may have even uh, read this verse before, or you may have even memorized this verse. And as you watch the football playoffs this weekend, you might even see someone holding a banner in the stands that says John 3:16. And here's what it says. God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, and we talked about believe in week one of the series, if you put all your faith and all your trust in Him, you will be saved. See, the choice is yours. You can choose to continue walking your own way, or you can choose a better way by following Jesus and beginning a relationship with Him. So right now, 
I want to give everyone watching the opportunity to step into this relationship with God, to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, to put your trust in Him and be a follower of Him. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you want to follow Jesus right now, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. If the answer to that question that you that we asked at the beginning of this is, why should I let you into heaven? And it was a bunch of things that you've done. Then maybe it's time for you to actually take that step of faith and trust Jesus. So pray this prayer with me if you're ready to make that your prayer. So Father, right now, I want you to change me from the inside out. God, I am choosing to put all of my faith and all of my hope and all of my trust in you. Paul says, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. So right now I am confessing with my mouth that you are Lord, that you are Lord of my life. And I am believing with all my heart that you raised from the dead. And so God, I want to enter into a relationship with you. I'm asking you to save me right now. We ask all these things in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Well, can we give it up for all those people who chose to follow Jesus? If that's you, congratulations. You just made the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And so we celebrate with you. If you made that decision, we actually have something for you. It's something we call a save box. Ooh, nice throw, Jeremy. In this save box is a Bible. It's a coffee mug. It's got your next steps on your spiritual journey. It's your next 30 days is in this box. And the best way to get that box is to text SAVE to 65248. Again, SAVE to 65248 if you made that decision to step into a relationship with God and choose of a life of being His follower. And can we give it up one more time for all those people who made that decision today? Congratulations. That is why we do what we do. Before we leave today, a couple quick things. A great way to st stay connected with us throughout the week is our Facebook group for the online campus. It's a great way to engage with other people on this journey called faith throughout the week. So join the group today by clicking the link in the chat that one of our awesome Impact Team members just put in there. And if you've been with us for a while, watching us online and you haven't yet visited an in-person service, we'd love to invite you Go to eclife.org slash locations for our physical campus locations and service times. Our doors are always open for you. And we hope to see you at a campus next weekend. Up next is our children's ministry experience. If you click off before we shut everything down, you might not know that we actually have a full worship experience for every single one of your kids right after the service. So to equip you and your family, we created something that we call the Children's Ministry Club. We have close to 200 kids in this club and you too can be a part of this awesome ministry at Emmanuel Church. All you need to do is text CLUB, C-L-U-B, to 65248 and each month we'll send your children a package of everything that they need to follow along with that month's curriculum. Again, CLUB to 65248 and then we'll send you the link to join or you can click the link in the chat. With that, grab your kids. It is their turn. Let's get ready as we grow in Christ together. Thank you again, Seymour High School Administration for letting us film here today. 
where we will be next week. You'll have to tune in to find out. Go Owls and bring a friend.